Welcome to BIPOC Rising, a space to challenge, learn, transform, and thrive as individuals in the collective BIPOC community. I'm your host, Dr. Christina Vivit, a transformative coach, consultant, and speaker with a background as a doctor of physical therapy and a community health researcher. I thrive on supporting individuals through their journeys and creating meaningful lives, experiencing transformation, and recognizing the humanness in all of our experiences. Now, let's dive into today's episode. Welcome to today's episode of BIPOC Rising. We're so excited to have a really strong duo today as our guest. And before we get started on speaking with our guests, I'm just going to introduce them. So Jeep, Julian Jeep Madison III is a cisgender multi-ethnic male. He's in Long Beach, California and works in a medical setting as a speech language pathologist. He went to undergrad at Case Western Reserve University in Cleveland, Ohio, with a double major in communication sciences and sociology, and later graduated from the University of Massachusetts Amherst for his Master's of Arts in Communication Disorders in 2019. Outside of being a speech therapist, he enjoys art, sports, and culture. And we are also joined by Dr. Julian Madison II. He is a Black man, father to four wonderful children, loving husband, and has been a college history professor for 25 years and more. He received his PhD at the University of Washington in Seattle, and he teaches a variety of courses, including U.S. history, U.S. Black history, U.S. history through film, U.S. foreign policy, and immigration. He is from Cleveland, Ohio, but has lived all over the country and has traveled all over the world. We are so excited to have you both on the show today to start off, since we're talking about Black history today, to start off, why is it so important to not just acknowledge, but emphasize Black history at this point in time? Well, you know, the thing about it here is that back in the 1960s, uh, Malcolm X was being interviewed. And, um, and the person who was doing the interviewing, I must admit, I cannot remember the name right now. But he uh, asked Malcolm X, you know, to name one single thing that a Black person has contributed to history. Now, I do not know what Malcolm X's response is. But the truth of the matter is that there have been a lot of contributions. And the thing about it is that when you look at things, the way things are going today, I I see more than ever in various parts of the country, a deliberate attempt to keep the populace ignorant. You know, you know, so it's one of those situations where if you do that, then you can pretty much rewrite history to your own will. So the importance of black history is such that people have to understand what this country is about and why it is the way it is. Uh, today. The idea of being ignorant to what is history and why aren't we learning about certain parts of history or even why aren't we accurately learning about certain parts of history is such an important thing to acknowledge with the way that we learn, the way that we're socialized and what we're promoting for future generations as well. And so that goes into our next question. Let's talk about important aspects of Black history that need to be taught to a greater capacity. So, Dr. Madison, why don't you go ahead and open up with the first uh, important area of Black history that we want to emphasize and discuss today? Well, you know, the thing about it is that whenever Black history is taught, 
Uh, most of the time, the emphasis is on slavery, the civil rights movement, and and and, and you know, and, and obviously those are two very important parts uh, of Black history, as well as, for example, you know, for that matter, American history. The uh, thing here, though, is that what it gets ignored, though, uh, and I must admit, uh, I do that too from time to time, is the fact that there's a lot more to it than slavery, than the civil rights movement. There's more to it than Martin Luther King. I remember uh, Chris Rock years ago, and one of his routines was talking about the fact that when he was in, you know, all you heard was Martin Luther King. And uh, so when he was taking a test or, or asked a question, uh, name the woman who uh, did not get off the bus, uh, you know, that began really the modern civil rights movement. And his response was uh, Martina Luther King. And that's all he knew. But the truth of the matter is there are, you know, one of the things that really has not been discussed, really talk about about black intellectuals out there, scholars, intellectuals, Um, you know, Sojourner Truth, for example, um, uh, Du Bois. um, Paul Robeson. Yeah, Robeson, Charles Johnson, exactly. uh, Franklin Frazier, you know, and so in addition to all of that, also, you know, James Baldwin is another. So, so there's a sort of there's an intellectual history that is ignored. In addition to all that, you know, you've got people who um, were, have contributed a great deal to uh, uh, American history, uh, to the world. Uh, you're talking about inventors. You know, so, for example, um, you know, Otis Boykin is one. Lonnie Johnson is another who comes to mind uh, right offhand here. So, uh, you know, you have a variety of people who have contributed so much. Uh, to, um, uh, you know, Charles Drew is another one. Elijah McCoy uh, is another one. Elijah McCoy invented um, a device that lubricated uh, trains while they were running, you know, while they're still in motion. So the train wouldn't have to stop so often. And um, the term the real McCoy is said to come from uh, uh, train companies that did not want, you know, the, the fakes, you know, the copycat uh, oil you know, the oil, oil parts, but they wanted, though, was the device that he invented. You know, they want they wanted the real McCoy. So Garrett Morgan, the person who invented the stoplight and the gas mask, you know, and they have a, a lot of other individuals here. So, so what happens is that while the focus is on various events, individuals tend to be ignored. And so uh, that is something that really has to change, I think, when you talk about Black history, for that matter, any history, whether you're dealing with Asian history, Latino history, whatever the case may be. There are great individuals, great people who have contributed a lot and they need to be talked about. Yes, I love that because I definitely can resonate with when we talk about history, when we think about history, we think of historical events. And when it comes to acknowledging the individual within history, that is something that definitely could use a little bit more attention, not only in modern day society, but how we educate the youth on history and how we not only educate the youth, but I think this fallacy of, you know, always trying to bring out the hero in history and especially the colonizer hero is so flawed. You know, we talk about acknowledging the individual versus the event in history, why is it that we acknowledge individuals so much in history where we have a Christopher Columbus day, but we don't talk about the other individuals that have really done and, you know, experienced that work that has benefited so much for a greater community. 
and truly teach that history to our students, to our youth with what it is and what they've done and not only what they've done, but also the journey and the honest and raw journey that that individual has gone through that really brings out what kind of not only historical event we're talking about, but what kind of person this was. And when we talk about heroes in history, why are they a hero? What did they do? And what did they honestly do for the people? And I think really emphasizing that individual focus um, and person focus in history is huge. And, you know, zooming out the lens of Christopher Columbus and, you know, all these other historical figures that we've really made heroes within American history. Let's change that narrative and continue to challenge that narrative of what a hero is in history and how do we exemplify and define heroism in history? Good point. And the thing here is the fact that we tend to mythologize uh, people who are significant. You know, there are more myths about George Washington, for example, than maybe any other person in American history. Uh, but, you, you, but you brought up Christopher Columbus. And what is not generally known is that Africans were crossing the ocean, you know, from Africa to the New World long before Columbus did. And this is true with Asians as well, coming across the Pacific or through the Bering Strait or what have you. So, uh, but again, though, the way, uh, you know, it is said that uh, the history is written by the victors. It's also written by those who are in dominant positions. Therefore, individuals who have done some things but may not have been the first tend to be the ones who get credit for, quote unquote, being the first. And, and that's just the way it is uh, right now. And that's something that really one reason why the, the history itself is so important. Uh, whether, again, we're talking about Black history, we're talking about Asian history, we're talking about uh, Latino history, we're talking about the various uh, histories of various religions, the same thing. So, um, so therefore, the, the, one of the important aspects of this whole thing is to understand that there is a lot of misunderstanding, deliberate or otherwise. Yeah, right, right. That's that's an interesting way to put it, too. All right. And so moving on to our next aspect of Black history that you both want to talk about. One thing I wanted to talk about was I think that when you talk about things within our society that, you know, not necessarily that you would teach in school, but I think that the presence of Black influence or previous cultures influence on our contemporary society is important to highlight just when you think about things that are, you know, really cool or that, you know, you give credit to. So for example, we give credit to, you know, architecture, to, you know, civilization, to certain political structures, to, you know, oh, these were the Asian Greeks. These were, you know, from, uh, you know, Germanic roots. Right. And I think that very rarely do you see people connect things back to African roots when that is literally where everything came from. Right. And I think that, you know, for example, one of the things that I, thought was really cool or that I didn't really believe just because it was never brought up in school was the game of chess, for example, was originally like an African game, you know, paper, as we know, it came from Africa. And I think that, you know, even though Africa to those who are a little bit more aware or educated has been just ransacked from all their natural resources and all everything they have to offer. And I think that, you know, just being able to trace roots or at least give these cultures and these countries or just the continent of Africa, you know, credit can go a huge way, just, you know, signifying that, hey, like, even though it is not 
the most overall, not at all, it's just, even though it isn't really an impoverished, impoverished continent, like there's so much that they contributed, so much comes from there. They've just been ransacked and abused and, you know, taken over multiple, multiple times and their stabilization is just always just destroyed. And I think that people don't really see Africa as this continent that contributed so much not just you know, resource-wise, but culturally from ancient civilizations. I mean, the Egyptians had one of the most prosperous civilizations for centuries and sent for millennia, really, until, you know, yet people come over from um, the Mediterranean and uh, Europe invading their lands over and over again for centuries until they eventually just crumbled. But I think that Africa doesn't get enough credit from having their roots in so many things that are in our culture and in our society that are just so everyday use and important. Yeah. Absolutely. Dr. Madison, you got anything else to add to that excellent response? Not really. I think you pretty much said it all. The, um, but when we look at the contributions uh, that Africa uh, has uh, given to the world, you know, a lot of it is Egypt, but there are other places as well. And, uh, you know, you've got, you know, for example, Cinderella is an Egyptian story. You know, uh, the first time people irrigated um, you know, for you know, for crops, you know, that was in Africa. Embalming uh, came out of Africa as well. Um, yes, sewer systems began in Africa. So, you know, you have a lot of things that began there. And, and as Jeep said, you know, uh, Africa as a continent uh, does not get the credit that it should get. And a lot of us is flat out ignorance. A lot of people here. We tend to have this thinking, feeling that everything began with Europeans or Americans and um, and that therefore, since they have done so much and they have, uh, everything must have come out of, you know, uh, out of European people. But again, there's so much that came out of Africa. There's so much that came out of, you know, South America. There's so much that came out of uh, Asia uh, that people just do not understand. You know, even, you know, you know the, the Islam, for example, the, the Islamic religion, it was Islamic scholars who were the ones who were able to translate ancient Greek, from what I understand. So, you know, they're the first ones to be able to do that. So there's so much there. We just, just people just do not know about. And, you know, with your experience as a history professor, in your opinion, where do you think a lot of this knowledge gets either mistranslated or where did that disconnect happen? Where... You know, we are teaching history that might not be accurate history or who decided that we're highlighting X, Y and Z parts of history or, you know, these are our core curricular subjects in history that we're going to teach. It's a conscious effort. It's a very conscious thing here where um, even going on, you know, for example, down in Texas right now, they are trying to uh, control what people learn. And so uh, because and one of the reasons why, in my opinion, is that, let's face it, you know, uh, the history of white Americans has been very, very good, but there's also a lot of bad to it as well. And they don't want to admit the bad. Therefore, down in Texas, they don't want to bring up slavery. They don't want to discuss Martin Luther King. They're trying to wipe that from the textbooks. Maybe they already have. But but this is but this is historic, though, within this country, of not giving uh, other groups of people their due. You know, if you were a Black person, in this country and you were successful, that's okay as long as you were not too successful. Then, then uh, it was, uh, they had this conscious effort by the government uh, to go ahead and try to uh, diminish that import, person's importance or to eliminate that person altogether. Uh, when Marcus Garvey uh, was prominent 
uh, J. Edgar Hoover, who was a member of the Bureau of Investigation, later, later the FBI, had Garvey in his sights, and they really went after him. Uh, but this has happened to a lot of prominent Black leaders, but also accomplishments by Blacks have been totally ignored for years uh, because of the fact that, again, it's just a matter of the racism that is in this country and therefore not willing to give groups uh, the due that, you know, that is deserved, you know, the credit that is deserved. So I could go ahead and talk about, you know, again, let's see, uh, Garrett Morgan, uh, who invented the stoplight or the gas mask. And the gas mask is quite interesting because he invented it. And uh, but when Southerners found out that a black man invented the gas mask, they refused to buy it. And so a lot of people died you know, from gas explosions or what have you because a black man invented the gas mask. You know, so therefore, the racism that is inherent in this country is really what that, what it's all about. Right. And, you know, with your experience in teaching for all the years that you have, do you feel like that this is something that has gotten better? Has history been more transparent in the way we're educating our students? Have you seen any changes in any of those areas? Yes, there are changes. And for the most part, it has gotten better. There is a, um, you know, years ago at a, where I taught at another university, uh, I was put in charge of the uh, Black Studies program. And we got a phone call one day. I did not, no one was there. The person who called, called after hours, nobody's in the office, but left a message. And his message basically was, you know, why do you have a Black Studies program? Why not an Indian Studies program, that is Native American Studies or White Studies? And, you know, and it really, he wasn't concerned about Native Americans as much as the fact that he was upset that there was a Black Studies program there. But at the same time, though, had I had the opportunity to speak with this person, I would say, well, we, we do have White Studies. It's called European History. You know, it's called American History. And so, uh, so you know, so it is something in which people just do not seem to understand that there is more to history than uh, what has traditionally been uh, taught. But it has opened up colleges, especially, you know, are more and more now. Beginning really in the, in the late sixties, early seventies, now African history has become a staple. Uh, Latin American history has become more important. Asian history has become more important as well as well as African-American history. So it is something that is it is getting better. But again, with all that, you also then have places like Texas and other places that are trying to diminish um, diminish the, those kinds of uh, courses, those kinds of studies. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. That's interesting. And so we spoke a little bit more about, you know, implications on modern day society and race relations, but sif- specifically, um, with regards to the aspects of Black history, tell us a little bit more about what the implications on modern day society and race relations are and how we can be more mindful as a community and as people. So I think that when it comes to Black history and what it means today, I think that with us bringing them up again or them just being ignored or not taught, I think that it created, as far as race goes, this subcon- like I said before, the subconscious idea of, you know, what have Blacks contributed, or, you know, if you expand to other groups, what have women or Asians contributed to America, et cetera, et cetera. And we do have our Black History Month, we have Women's History Month and everything like that, which does highlight, but it's only one twelfth of the year. 
And so you have that idea that, okay, they contributed essentially one twelfth of the content. And I think that can create this implication of, yeah, they did something, they did some stuff, but you know, they're not the main characters here in American history. And I think that with today and race relations and just the interaction of, you know, what's going on today with more education or people speaking out with social media, being able to like these type of platforms where we're having the ability to educate, to give information. And you have that, you know, I don't want to get too far into the pushback, but I think that it's just this idea that now people think that we're rewriting history now and because you're bringing up points that were missed. And I think that, you know, this, that people are feeling challenged just because of, stuff they did not know was false or stuff they did not know at all is being introduced to them. And when you live for so long with this information or lack thereof, and it's being reintroduced or, you know, retaught to you, you know, that can be a little bit frustrating for some people. Um, and I think that, you know, when we, when we talk about like the country, the contributions of Africa, for example, like I said before, and how, you know, if we bring that up today, you know, people might think that's, you know, undermining, you know, once again, like their own personal history or their, ancestry or what have you. And I think that it just creates this kind of conflict because you're challenging a narrative that was created from people consciously choosing what's taught, you know, um, from people, you know, being so absorbed or so sure of, you know, Christopher Columbus's greatness or his mythos. And I think that's just what's going on today is that the implications of the past and the lack of education or the, I guess, you know, the misinformation is just creating this subconscious, you know, idea and narrative that, you know, American history is majority white when there's so much, you know, African, African, black history there, there's women in history, there's Asians in history, and it's just, you know, creating this narrative that is now being challenged. And Dr. Madison, with all that said, what do you recommend for our listeners to be able to, you know, be open to that space of unlearning and relearning and even if they're doing the work how can we get others to also be in that same space or encourage others to be in that same space well i think that first of all people have to understand that they have a lot to learn you're talking about you know race modern society race relations and and what they can do I think what has to be understood is that you go back to colonial days, the 1600s, Virginia, for example, there were laws that were passed by the Virginia legislature, the House of Burgesses, it was called, that mandated uh, discrimination. Uh, Their biggest concern was that a coalition of poor whites and blacks, and whites and blacks got along very well in those days, and uh, but a coalition of poor whites and blacks would overthrow the economic system, would overthrow the people in power, and therefore uh, the economic system itself would be overthrown. Therefore, they passed a series of laws that were designed to physically and psychologically separate whites and blacks. For example, when it came to punishment, a black person could be whipped when you take your shirt off. You You know, take your shirt off, you can whip a black person. You know, uh, but a white person, you needed permission from a governing uh, from a governing body, you know, a judge or whomever to uh, whip that person bareback. Well, a whip hurt no matter what. But the point here is that by taking a black man's shirt off, you're giving the connotation that he's a brute, that he's subhuman. 
Uh, there were laws that um, that were passed making it make illegal for black people and white people to marry. If a white woman married a black man, her child could be put into slavery for the first 32 years of his life. She could be kicked out of the colony. She could be enslaved herself. You know, and, and this did two things. Number one, again, it separated blacks and whites uh, physically and psychologically, and also it took away competition for white women. Uh, so, so there was a now did white women and black people get married anyway? Yes, they did. But, but the point, though, is that what they're trying to do is set it up so that whites would look down on black people. And that kind of attitude remained even through today. And so, uh, so that's really in Virginia, you know, talking about Virginia in those days became the first time that you actually had laws that discriminated against someone based on the color of their skin. You also, he always had laws that discriminated in, in, in Europe, you know, that, that dealt with someone's geography. If you're from a different place, um, you know, there is actually a part of the Roman empire at one point, one section where it was illegal to marry a woman with blonde hair because they're seen as genetically inferior. You know, so so the, all these constructs are human, are man-made. And so uh, so now what you have here, so we're talking about people today, uh, they have to understand that if they really want to understand what is going on, what has happened, they have to understand what happened 300 years ago. Because if they don't, then they'll always have this idea that that's just the way it is. Uh, this is like we were talking earlier about mythology and 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 the and how we built up people, you know, despite the fact that they're simply human beings with human weaknesses, human strengths. You know, they all need to sleep, they all need to drink, we all need to eat, we all need love, you know, we all need that. And so you you got to a situation though where uh, you have a group segment of society that does not understand that they are the same that everyone really is the same and they do not want to understand that. But, you know, but to, to get that though, you have to look back and understand that all these laws that were passed, all these attitudes, these are human made attitudes here. So it's very easy to go ahead and make a comment about someone based on their ethnicity without really wanting to understand why they feel that way. And then that is a problem. Absolutely. Absolutely. And to follow up with that, what effect has the absence or lack of presence of Black history or history of any minority groups such as the LGBTQ community, Latinx community, Native American community, Asian American community, and so on, had on our society? I think it's just that lack of presence. Um, and I, I keep saying using the word subconscious just because I think that's something that really interests me. But when you you know go through history or you name your, you know, Historical figures, ask the average person name five historical figures, more likely than not, they're going to be, you know, white men. And when there are so many people who contributed who are of very different demographics, whether it's race, gender, sexual orientation, um, you know, native land, et cetera. And I think that it's that lack of presence where they just don't really attribute and they can subconsciously, you know, apply value to you know, people around them based off of that lack of representation. And I think that, you know, if, you know, you walk down the street and, you know, you might, I mean, race, because of the way we made it, um, is such a huge thing that we divide people into in our heads. Like you see someone, you know, they're white, you know, they're black, you know, they're Asian, or you think they are, or what have you. And I think that the associations you have with them 
um, and just what they're in their value, I guess. I mean, I don't really believe in attributing value to a human being. It's just kind of weird. But when you think about, you know, for example, white supremacy and their whole basis, it's that the white people are better. And that when you have history that leaves out the contributions of women, black people, um, Asian people, Native Americans, I mean, their entire history and culture is wiped out, their lack of presence just kind of creates this lack of importance or this lack of relevance. And that lack of relevance or lack of importance creates this subconscious idea of you know, lack of value. And that lack of value creates the idea of supremacy. And I mean, even when you think about the term non-white, that is still centering around the white people, right? Because it's now that they're black or they're Asian, they're just non-white. Because in our history, in our society, it's white-centric because all we talked about were white people for the most part. Even though we're looking for equality, whether it's, you know, women's rights, women's, uh, or just, you know, history, like, let's tell the real story because they've been the center, the focus, they've been, you know, the majority of history. When you start trying to bring in other aspects of history or, you know, equal rights, equal pay, um, you know, social rights, even though you're trying to make other people as equal to them or just give them what they deserve as human beings, because they've been the majority and had all this focus and power, they see that as infringing on them. Like they're being restrained or oppressed when in actuality, they're not being oppressed or pushed down. We're just bringing other people up to their level. But when you spend so much time, you know, 10 feet above everybody else and people start, you know, climbing up to your level, you don't see them as climbing up. You see them as pulling you down. And I think that that's kind of what the lack of presence of, you know, women, minorities, you know, what have you in history has caused this idea of this white centric, white superiority narrative and the, the story that's out there. And that's just kind of where things are right now. That's the problem is that we're trying to break this consciousness in America that it's white centric, that it's, you know, white propelled. And when you introduce these other groups, some white people see that as a, oh, they're pulling us down, not, you know, they're coming up to our level. And that's just, I think, the biggest problem that's made by the lack of presence of, you know, all these other groups. Yeah, absolutely. All right. And so why do you think it's so hard to have discussions about Black history without so much of the pushback? We talked about the racism. We talked about a lot of the history and perspectives that have really been seeded into individuals, but also, you know, students and overall what the roots of racism, how that plays a role in the pushback. But are there any other reasons as to why you think it's just so hard to have discussions about Black history without so much of that pushback? Well, I think that the big thing is guilt. People are uncomfortable with it. A lot of it, it's, it's a, uh, they feel guilty about it. Part of it is that people feel that, well, if they get into a discussion, they might offend someone. They're afraid of their true feelings. They're afraid of letting the true feelings out. It is a very uncomfortable situation uh, for many whites to discuss, many white men and women to discuss race and racism, to discuss black history within itself. And, and a lot of it just deals with you. So, you know, when I was growing up, I would get, I, and I literally got this where people would say, well, I'm not a racist. You know, some of my best friends are black. And, you know, I, I got that quite a bit, actually. And it's sort of an amusing comment to make. And so the uh, uh, so I, I do think that people are just uncomfortable with it because they understand in a very basic way the history of it all. You know, they're uncomfortable in that they know that racism in and of itself is bad. They know it, but they can't help it. Um, you know, those who do not have a problem with discussing 
you know, aspects of black history, discussing race and racism in my, in my experience, are those who are very comfortable in their own skin. You know, you know Jeep talk, talked a little bit about, you know, just a few minutes ago about the fact that, you know, you're talking about a presence or lack thereof, you know, why, you know, uh, you're talking about um, the effect uh, that the absence of you know, black history or L- the LGBTQ community or Latinx community or Native American or Asian American community in our society here. And, and I believe that part of it deals with the fact that there's a lot of insecurity there, that they really do not, that, that deep down inside, a lot of these individuals uh, truly believe that they are not as good as they claim to be. And they don't want to find out that they are correct that their feelings may not, their, their feelings that they are not superior may prove to be true, and they do not want to find that out. Years ago, you know, getting back in the days of slavery, there was a belief that, you know, you get into those who are defending slavery. And so, uh, so one of the aspects of this whole thing here, when it came to the Confederate Army using Black troops, because this is something that they talked about almost the entire war. And there is a, a senator from Georgia, Howell Cobb was his name, and he he was in the U.S. Congress, and he you know you know he went along with the state of Georgia, seceded from the Union, and he opposed using black soldiers because he said if they go ahead and prove to be good soldiers and they're and brave and fight well, it will go against everything we've taught ourselves about you know about slavery about black people. And I think that, and then when you get into the latter part of the century, or part, the latter part of the 19th century, where various laws were passed that made it impossible, or at least seemingly impossible, for Black people to get a break, to get have an equal chance, you know, it was opposed because, again, you're in a situation where you are in a superior position, and they did not want to give that up. So now you get into this whole notion of, you know, uh, the pushback. Uh, when it came, comes to the, the discomfort that people feel about discussing Black history, and really it comes down to racism, and they're uncomfortable with that. They know that uh, the, that slavery was wrong. They know that e- even even if they feel like you know that they are superior, they know it is wrong. They know that racism is wrong, and it is something that they don't want to deal with. So the best thing to do, if you don't want to deal with something, there's two ways to, to, to handle it: if you if you, you know, face it head on or you run away from it, okay? And so running away from things that they know is wrong because of the fact that it makes their ancestors look bad, and therefore they're in the same boat. So to maintain power, to control the narrative, people uh, do not want to get into any discussion that deals with Black history or, or racism, for that matter. Right, right. And I think addressing all of those areas that you talked about, you know, you talked about the guilt, the discomfort, all of those different things are emotions that in general, people don't like dealing with. But mm-hmm. when it comes to true transparency and looking after and caring for and supporting our brothers and sisters, I think it's so important to face those feelings of discomfort and guilt as if they were feelings of discomfort and guilt, you know, in your own personal life, because these are, you know, we're, we're treating and supporting each other as humans. And when we face these 
different areas of guilt, discomfort, things that prevent us from really truly caring for, understanding, and supporting our brothers and sisters, I think it's so essential to face those feelings as is and be open to, in general, learning beyond the experience of your own is so important in just acknowledging and appreciating humans as they are. What are your top three takeaways with regards to Black history and modern day ties? So Jeep, you can start off with the first one. Yeah, I think that the biggest takeaway that I want to just throw out there is that it's all connected and it's all a story. Like it's it's linear. I um, mean, it's, it's a story. And I think that to understand where we are today, you have to kind of really go back and study in those dead zones. I always call like the dead zones of history that we don't really touch upon. So my father mentioned that you have, you know, slavery, the civil rights movement. And then, you know, you could go back to the summer 2020, as far as, you know, like flashpoints in history that we will talk about as far as civil rights go, but there's a lot of history that happened in between those events. And I think that when someone says, Oh, slavery was so long ago, if you were to go back decade by decade and look up like major events or look up, you know, racial relations or laws uh, that are relevant to, you know, race and race conflict, you'll find that slavery really wasn't that long ago as far as where we are as a society. We aren't too far removed from it as much as you think, because after slaves are freed, there's, I mean, you have 1865, which is, you know, the Emancipation Proclamation. And then the next thing we cover is uh, 1965 when, you know, the civil rights movement was in full swing or the Civil Rights Act, you know, took place, you know, in that general in that mid 60s but you had a hundred year gap and people act like okay so we were progressively working our way towards equality and then it's a rights um action happened and then 60 years later but there's so much in between those events that aren't progressive and pretty like it's really ugly in those in those time periods it's really bad like when my dad was born blacks and whites weren't allowed to be married my dad went to school in a segregated school like it's and he doesn't even look that old. And like, it's one of those things where we're not too far removed from, you know, our history books or like how bad it got. And if you think about how long it takes for, you know, social ideologies and for narratives and for society to change its thinking, it takes a very long time. All right. Our number two takeaway, Dr. Madison, do you have anything to say for our number two takeaway? I, I, I think that in the end, uh, what has to be understood is that Black history really is American history. This country is so rooted in the whole notion of white men and women and Black men and women uh, that uh, it is impossible, and it really is impossible to study American history without having some sort of understanding of what happened in Black history. You know, we, and I, so I think that in the end, people have to just learn their history. You know, we had a president we never heard of Pearl Harbor until two years ago. <laughs> and so, uh, which which was absolutely amazing to me because uh, every person born in this country, any age whatsoever, uh, and, you know, understood what happened at Pearl Harbor. And so, so when you have someone who's that ignorant, then it pretty much goes to show that there are people who do not have an understanding of what this country is all about. And so if Black history really is American history and vice versa, uh, then there's then you then you find that you yeah, guys Julie was saying here as Deep was saying it's it's linear it's inescapable you cannot get away from it yeah yeah that's a good point number three what is your last takeaway for our audience today Jeep what do you think I think the last takeaway is that the current emphasis in 
know, equality and just this education is not to replace or erase. It's just to fill in and create the complete story. You know, I'm not trying to take away from the accomplishments of, you know, white people, I guess, or I'm not trying to make white people feel bad about being white. My goal, and I think the goals of everyone here are to give people their due credit. And I think one of my favorite people, one of my favorite stories is Rosalind Franklin, the, the woman who discovered the double helix in DNA. Like the two men who took that credit, you know, got the Nobel Prize for it. And they didn't admit that they stole it from her until like years after she had died. And that was like after 50 years of them getting credit. And even though on the surface, you know, when it's like, oh, they didn't do it. That phrasing makes you know people feel like, oh, they're taking away like those men accomplishments. No, we're giving Miss um, Franklin her accomplishments. And so we're not trying to replace or erase. We're trying to give the true story. We're trying to give people their due credit, just like any of us would want due credit for our own accomplishments. And that's all this is. And I think that people get really offended because this is what they believe this is what they know. And they identify with these people who are white, who are male, um, who are cisgendered. And they feel like they're being attacked. Or they're being, once again, brought down, but they're not They're We're just giving credit to other people who other demographics who want, who ha- should have something to be proud of, who should have something to be proud of. And I think that's just, I think the big thing that there's an understanding there that, you know, I'm not trying to make white people be ashamed of being white, like, or, you know, men ashamed of being men. We're just trying to give people credit so people can be proud of, you know, being, you know, part of the LGBT community. They can be proud of being black. they can be proud of being Asian, Native Americans. I just think that's the biggest thing I want to be communicated because I think that's where it starts. I think that's where, you know, people can feel better about having these conversations. Absolutely. And these are just the beginning of the conversations because I would like Dr. Madison and Jeep to let you guys know where they can also be found. They have a YouTube channel that has even more information on what we wish we'd learn in school, um, different topics on Black history. Jeep, could you go into a little bit more about where our listeners can find you and where your YouTube channel is? Yeah. So if you go on YouTube or Google and type in what we missed in school, They'll take you to the page where we post all of our videos. We like doing um, mailbags. So if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or just discussion, you know, topics you want to have addressed in response to a video, you can send them, you know, to that inbox on the channel in the comment section. You can go to my Instagram, uh, which is the maddest son. It's a little planned words for my name. Um, and I normally post, you know, updates or stories or replies that are open to, you know, the public to give any type of questions, comments, or things you want discussed or observed. And my father and I will talk about them or address them. So we like to post our videos and also answer questions or talk about things that people are genuinely curious about. Go on YouTube and type in what we missed in school or by going on Instagram to my Instagram page, The Maddest Son. Awesome. So you can find both of them on their YouTube channel, Dr. Madison and Jeep. So thank you guys so much for being on the show today. It is such a joy to have both of you. And to our listeners, stay tuned for the next episode. And we thank you so much for tuning in today. Congratulations for taking another step in your Thrive journey and empowering those around you. BIPOC Rising is happy to support you, and if you would like to find me, you can find me on my website, www.empoweredcommunity.com to explore ways that I can best support you and your goals. And don't forget, that's Empowered Community spelled with a Y-O-U in community.
You can also take a look at the link in my podcast bio for my website. Until next time, thanks for tuning in. 